will abound on account of me. Amen. Thank you, Adam. Let's stand and let's sing Blessed Be Your Name. The words are printed in your bulletin. Father, we thank you for uh, this day. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to worship you through, through song, through prayer, uh, through scripture reading, and now as we, as we get the chance to hear your word preached, I thank you for that opportunity as well to worship you in that way. Uh, Lord, this all uh, is about you and what we can do uh, for you and through you. And so we are grateful that your presence is here with us and pray that you would Give me words to speak and that you'd open up our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us today. In Christ we pray. Amen. 
As Adam uh, alluded to during the scripture reading, today's message is a, is a continuation of our series through the book of Philippians, and even more so, it's a, a, a really a continuation of the passage that we began to look at last week. Uh, the section, verses 12 through 26 in Philippians 1, is really one long section with the main, main theme um, running through it. Uh, but what happens in verse 18, you see it's, it's split in most of your Bibles there. Uh, it's centered around this idea of Paul's joy. And it's a transition from, it's a shift in perspective. In the first section that we looked at last week, uh, Paul is focusing on his present circumstances, right? We talked about his suffering through his imprisonment, through um, these, these preachers who were taking advantage of him being in jail and trying to go by their own, per, get their own personal gain by, by Paul's imprisonment. And so Paul was, was dealing with his own present circumstances in that verse. And we see a shift in verse 18. The focus is not anymore on his present circumstances, but it's on the future circumstances, whatever they may be. And Paul begins to kind of philosophically wonder what, what will happen to him. And, and in both of these sections, whether he's focusing on his present circumstances and suffering or any possible future circumstances, whether it's a release from prison or further suffering through his death, Paul realizes this one thing, and that that no matter what happens, Christ will be exalted. Yeah, and and Christ will be lifted up through his actions and through his circumstances. You see, we we began to talk about last week that joy is not based in our present circumstances, not based in the, the suffering and the hardship that we go through, right? If we if we experience loss, if we experience hardship, our joy can be taken away from us if it's based in those present things. But Paul realizes that his joy is not based in those things, but it's based in the gospel of the Lord, right? And it's based in his relationship with him. And he continues that theme in this section as well. We see in these first couple of verses that the road ahead was quite uncertain for Paul, right? He begins to wonder, in a sense, what is going to happen to him. But the one thing that remains con- constant is his joy and his confidence that all these things are going to work together uh, for his deliverance, it says. Uh, and this word deliverance is an interesting word. It, it's used elsewhere in the New Testament in a sense of salvation, right? Talking about our salvation in Christ and, and even more specifically our, our future salvation, right? When, when Christ will return and when all of our, our wrongs will be made right, when we will no longer be uh, bound to our sin and, and all the consequences of sin and we will be finally saved, we'll be released from those things, right? And we'll be free from God's wrath and be able to enjoy him forever in eternity, uh, that's the sense of, of the word used elsewhere in the New Testament. And so Paul here talks about that, that all these things, their prayers, uh, the, the spirit of Jesus at work in him are going to work out for his deliverance. And it's interesting because in, in the section he goes on to say, whether I live or die, whether I'm released or what, to be with you or whether I am going to go to be with the Lord, it's all for his deliverance. And from our perspective, that seems crazy, right? How is, how is being in prison, how is facing a possible execution possibly deliverance? Well, you see, Paul was not talking about deliverance in the physical sense, deliverance as in a release from jail, but he had eternity in mind, right? He had his relationship with God and, and Christ being exalted through his circumstances in mind as he talked about deliverance. In a sense, you know, Paul was in prison and he was facing, you know, the Roman court and the legal proceedings that were there, but... In a sense, Paul had an understanding that, that that court, whatever verdict they may give, was not the one that really mattered in the long run. What mattered was, was God's judgment, and what mattered was God's opinion of him. 
And Paul knew that by staying faithful, by staying strong, through the support of the prayers of these people, through the support of God's Spirit working in him, uh, if he remained faithful, that's, that's all that mattered. It didn't matter what happened to him in a physical sense with his life and with his imprisonment. What matters was that he stayed faithful and that God saw him as faithful and that through his life and even through his death, Christ would be exalted. And how does this happen? How, does, how is this deliverance possible? Well, first Paul says it's through the prayers of the Philippians. right? And that may seem strange to, to us who think of ourselves as very independent, autonomous people. right? That's a very strong value in our culture today. right? I'm not dependent on anyone else. It doesn't matter. I can do it all on my own, kind of pull ourselves up by our bootstraps kind of mentality. But Paul here is alluding to the fact that as Christians, as believers in the Lord, we need each other. Right? We, we are dependent on each other in the sense that we can support and build each other up through our prayers, through our actions, through our support of one another. And we see throughout Paul's letters, he constantly asks for the prayers of others, and he often prays for people. Just in Philippians 1.10, uh, part of the passage we first looked at, Paul prayed that they're... Um, Excuse me, Paul prayed that they'd be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless on the day of Christ. Right? Paul was praying exactly that same thing for the Philippians, and now in return he's asking for their prayers as well. Paul realized that, that we need each other. And Paul realized that the prayers of support of, of the people that he was ministering to were so important for his, his day-to-day you know, faithfulness, his ability to stand strong in the Lord. Paul constantly prayed for these people, and he asked for their prayers in return. And it teaches us, in reality, that prayer makes a difference. Right? Our prayers mean something. Right? And, it's, and it's not, you know, we get a sense of our prayers. They, they help our own understanding, our own perspective. Right? When we pray, we begin our heart and mind to align more with God's, and that's definitely a, a, a benefit to prayer, and that's one of the main things that happens in prayer. But I do believe that God uses the prayers of his people to make a difference in this world, right? Our prayers are effective. Our prayers are powerful, and they, they, are, they are powerful in the sense that God uses us and uses our prayers to accomplish his will and his purposes in our lives, right? God could use you know, any avenue that he desired to have his will be done, right? He could, have, he could have easily made a bunch of puppets and robots to just do his will for him with no questions asked. Uh, instead, he created human beings, right, who have a choice and who have, a, who have free will to, to do what, as they choose. And part of that free will is choosing to pray and ask God to work in the lives of, of, our, own, of our own lives as well as the lives of others. Uh, God uses those prayers, and God uses our willingness to lift each other up in prayer to make a difference in our lives. Uh, Paul says that it's through the prayers of his people he will have that sufficient courage to stand strong. Uh, But it's not only the prayers of the people, it's also the Spirit of Jesus at work in his life. Uh, Paul says that... um, that it's, that it's through the, the Spirit of Jesus that he's able to stand strong. All believers right, have the Holy Spirit at all times. But I believe there's, there's times where, as believers, we are maybe more aware of his presence and his power, and we're more uh, aware of that in our lives than at others. And so that's what Paul, in a sense, is asking here. He's, he's asking that he would be more aware of the Spirit of Jesus and the power that that provides in his life to stand strong. You know, apart from God, we're able to do nothing. But through God, through his spirit working in our lives, we're able to to stand strong and be faithful and do as God desires for us to do and live out his will in our lives. Right. I can't imagine the situation Paul was in. 
right? We're blessed to be in this country where we are able to, and, and I know I mentioned this last week, we're able to gather here and worship freely without fear of being arrested or persecuted. And that in itself is a blessing beyond what most Christians throughout time have experienced. But Paul did not experience that for himself, right? He found himself in jail for preaching, for ministering to the gospel. And so I can't imagine putting myself in that situation. But, but if I were Paul, if I were to try to speculate what it was like, I wouldn't be able to do it on my own. Right? In my own strength, and my own will, you know, I would not be able to stand strong as Paul is talking about standing strong here. I wouldn't be able to say for me to live as Christ and to die as gain apart from God's Spirit working in my life. And so that's what... You know, we can, we can get, gain out of this passage of seeing Paul's dependence on, on not only the prayers of the people, but God's Spirit working in his life. And, and we need to pray for each other to that end as well. You know, as, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to constantly lift each other up in prayer and ask that God's Spirit be active and working in each other's lives and that he would give us the strength we need each day, that he would continue to grow and mature us in, in the image of Christ. You know, that's an ongoing process. Paul himself admitted that he was not there yet. Right? The Apostle Paul, this guy we think of as, as a pillar of faith, and he even admitted that he needed to continue to strive forward. You know, he talked about in 1 Corinthians 9, you know, beating his own body so that he, you know, to, uh, in a sense, you know, he was training himself up. He was using the analogy of sports and athletics to, to train himself up so that he wouldn't be disqualified for the prize. Right? He realized that he needed... There was work to be done in his life, and that can be said of all of us. We all have work to be done, but it's God's Spirit working in our lives that gives us that ability. So Paul understood that his deliverance would come uh, because he was relying on God's Spirit working in his life. It says here that he, was, he would eagerly expect, and I think that's such a great, great phrase in verse 20, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. This term, eagerly expect, it's the idea of an intense expectation that something that is for sure to happen is about to come. Right? In a sense, it's not, it's not, the, not the expectation of, um, you know, I'm not sure what the outcome is to be, and so I'm, you know, on the edge of my seat waiting to see what will happen. It's more of the sense of, I know what the outcome to be is going to be, and I am so excited for it that I am, I am on the edge of my seat because I want to see it happen. Does that make sense, the difference there? You know, and so Paul here, he understands, he knows what the outcome is going to be, that God is faithful, that God will continue to use him. And so he's eagerly expecting and he even is rejoicing because he expects to uh, successfully endure these trials and these hardships that are about to come. And the reason that he, is a, he has that confidence isn't in his own power or in his own strength, but it's in the Lord. Right? He will triumph because, of, because, he is, because his life is in the Lord. His confidence and his hope is in the Lord. That's the difference uh, between Paul just kind of standing in his own power and Paul determined because of God working in his life. You know, we see uh, in, in the Psalms over and over again, this idea that those who wait in the Lord, those who trust in the Lord, those who hope in the Lord will not be put to shame. Um, and that's, that's the kind of confidence of faith that Paul is talking about here. And it's confidence that we can have as well. His deliverance, right, his salvation, his rescue is not tied to the outcome of this trial. Right? Paul recognized that. He said whether by life or by death, he understands that he will not be put to shame. 
And it's because of his confidence in the Lord that, that no matter his circumstances, his perspective was not just on his own situation, but it was on God being, God being able to use that situation to get, bring glory to him and that Christ would be honored through it. Right, Christ is exalted. Christ will be exalted and he will not be ashamed whether he lives or dies. And that's such a profound statement. And it's something that, as American Christians, if we're honest, is very foreign to us. We're never faced with that reality unless we're reading about it in the news you know, of, of Christians in another country. But it's a reality for Paul and it was a reality for many people as well. And so then for the rest of this passage, he goes on to kind of explain his, his reasoning for this perspective. He explains why he's able to have that sort of confidence, why he's able to have that sort of joy and contentment even facing his own death. And the reason is, he makes this profound statement, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. You see, for him, life meant, continued life meant more fruitful labor, right? Paul was able, Paul found his joy and his contentment in his life, not from his, his you know, material possessions, not from, you know, happiness or pleasures he may receive from this life, but he received his joy and his contentment through his relationship with the Lord and the advancing the gospel through his ministry. So, so he basically says, look, if I go on living, if I continue in this life, if I'm found not guilty and able to go back, it means more fruitful labor. It means the gospel will be spread even more. It means that even more people will be impacted by my ministry. And so, so from that perspective, it was a positive thing. Life meant that Christ would continue to work through Paul, would be able to continue to minister through Paul in order to reach many people. And for him, as a pastor, as a missionary, that was a joy. And there was hope found in that. And it was more necessary for the Philippians, right, for that he would live so that he could continue to mentor and guide them. To live as Christ, Paul was able to say that because his life was inextricably linked to Jesus, right? He derived his purpose and his meaning of his life from his relationship with God. And he found joy in all of this only because Christ lives in him and strengthens him. Right, that's the key to joy and contentment. This series that we're preaching through for Philippians is, I titled it, uh, Finding Contentment in Every Circumstance. Every Circumstance. I may have messed that up. Now I got a, I don't have the book in front of me. It's something like that. <laughs> Finding contentment in every circumstance. And this is the beginning of that theme that you'll see developed, and it becomes even more uh, prominent in chapter 4. But the reason he could, Paul could find contentment in every circumstance, whether good or bad, was because his joy was not based in those circumstances, but it was based in his relationship with the Lord, that Christ lived in him, and for him that was enough. You know, how many of us can truly say that for me to live is Christ? How many of us can say that? We may fill in the blank with a whole lot of other things. For me to live is my family. For me to live is my job. For me to live is having a bigger bank account. Right? For me to live is fill, fill in the blank. Right? What motivates you? What is your purpose of living? I would challenge you that you need, as Paul was able to say, we all need to say, for us to live as Christ, our purpose, our meaning in this life needs to be found in Him. And the reason is because anything else could be taken away from us. Any other foundation that we build on can be destroyed in an instant. But Christ is the one thing, the one foundation that we can build on that will never be destroyed. So for Paul to live was Christ, but also to die was to gain. And again, this makes no sense from our, our human perspective. How could his death in a Roman jail possibly be a gain to him? 
And the reason why it was again, reason why he said it was better by far is because he understood that as a follower of Christ, as someone who had put his trust and his faith in Jesus, to die was to go to be with the Lord, was to be in his presence forever. And, that, and for a believer, there's no greater joy, there's no greater hope than that, that our, our sin would finally be removed from our life, right? We no longer struggle with those temptations and sins that have plagued us from birth, right? We no longer have illness or suffering or shame or death, but we would finally be free from all of that and be with the Lord. And someone who has a relationship with God would, would understand that that is, that is a joy beyond what we could possibly describe in this world uh, I was having a, a meal with a member of this church this past week, and we were having a conversation, and he brought up a, a saying that I had heard before, and I think it, it fits right in with this theme. And It says that for, for an unbeliever, for someone who has not put their faith in Christ, this life, this earth, is the closest to heaven that they will ever be. But for a believer, for one who does know the Lord, right, this earth, this life, will be the closest to hell that they will ever be. That the joys and, and happiness and pleasures we receive in this life will be nothing compared to being with the Lord forever. That, that, that we have that joy to look forward to. So for Paul, that was, that's why death was to gain. You know, if he went on to live in this life, if he went on to continue to minister, even through his suffering, even through his hardship, it meant that Christ was working in him and that was, that was a pleasure and a joy for him. But to die, to be with the Lord was, was an honor and joy as well. And even a greater one. And so that's why Paul was able to have this perspective. And that was really the key to, to this idea of redemptive suffering. It's not about what we do. It's not about the circumstances we find ourselves in. Because, because so, for so many of us, those are beyond our control, right? We can't control our health to an extent. We can't control what other people may do to us, whether it's through relationships or other things, right? We can't guarantee tomorrow for any of us, right? But the one thing that we can put our hope in and build on is our relationship with the Lord and the confidence that he is at work in our lives if we just put our trust in him. So Paul, writing a letter from jail, right, awaiting a possible execution, was able to talk about the joy that he had in the midst of all of that. That's amazing to me. And that's redemptive. God was able to use his circumstances. He was able to use Paul's life, no matter what situation he found himself in, for his good. You know, we can tie it all back again to Romans 8.28, for God works all things together for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. All right, that's such a key verse when we think about what Paul is going through and the, and the perspective that he had. He saw that God redeemed him. He saw that God was able to use those things in his life for Paul's good. And ultimately, Paul realized that it was all to the glory of God. You know, I pray that as we go through life, as we face hardships, as we face difficulties, that we'd be able to have that same perspective, that we'd be able to look at our lives and say, you know, for me to live as Christ, I will continue on and continue to serve him. Um, and, and, and that no matter what I face, no matter what I go through, even my own death would bring glory to God because my joy and my, my contentment is found in him and in nothing else. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for uh, the opportunity to share uh, this morning. I thank you that... Paul, uh, Lord, is able to share this message with the Philippians and with us, that, that to live is Christ, but to die is gain. That our, our hope, Lord, in this life is built on nothing less than, than your blood and righteousness, than, than your cross, than with the salvation that you offer through us, or for us through your Son. And Lord, that is where we put our hope and our trust, no matter what we face in this life. In Christ we pray. Amen.
As we close, let's sing <coughs> Cornerstone, which is, uh, again, the words are in your, in your bulletin. Uh, one note uh, at the end there where it says, He is Lord, Lord of all. After we sing it, we're going to swing back and sing the chorus again one more time, which is the paragraph just above. grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.